H-Town, I'm back. It's great to be home. Now, I do think that we have Bryce Young slated to be the favorite number one Carolina. And Houston's on the clock. And what does Houston do? And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talk game. Your Houston Texans. Straight to the beat British house. I'm delighted to say we are joined again this year by a man who needs no introduction from that countdown, Mr. Shane D. Hallam. Shane, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for having me back. Getting close to the draft. I said, yeah, I, I've I've not been anywhere near as uh, on it as I was last year. In fact, I'm not on it at all. So I'm 100% relying on you. I'll admit that now. Um, in terms of the draft, I had a full draft board last year. Uh, watched thousands of games. Um, meant more hours than I'll ever get back. So I uh, go through that process. I res- take my hat off to you. I respect the respect the craft, respect the commitment. How have you found this process this year? piecing it together uh it's it's been interesting it's it's been fun having quarterbacks that you feel good about actually in the first round in the top of the first round i think that's exciting compared to last year um but i've definitely found this class is a pretty deep good class like i'm watching guys that are in my you know 30 40 50s uh, of their positional rankings that won't get drafted i'm like oh, you know i think this guy can make a roster you can be in a camp um I, I think it's a deep group this year you know especially running back tight end edge corner uh i, I think there's some good players out there so I, i'd say a pretty solid draft for what we've had the past couple of years yeah no i think so i think it's interesting and i my, as i said my limited knowledge i'll try and guide us through this but uh hopefully shane will give us an idea uh as of today uh bryce young is meant to be in the building right now um meeting with the team uh with D'Amico rise there's quite a lot of rumors as well today shane about potential changes after the draft in houston that's kind of swirling i don't know if you've seen that at all but um i suppose when you bring a new new head coach in who's probably coming with giving a lot of promises to take the job he did um which was a bit of a surprise and probably the best move the team's made. Um, what do you make of those sort of rumours, just to touch upon potential changes? There's no kind of concrete um, thought, uh, thoughts or, or predictions out there yet, but um, I suppose you probably see that every year in some buildings. They get through the draft process and then there is you know, resulting changes. Stru- may even just be structural uh, throughout the organisation, but um, what do you make of that? Look, I'm here in Pittsburgh where that happened last year. You know, they got through the draft and then Kevin Colbert left as GM. Uh, I think a lot of teams, especially if you're replacing the head coach, you kind of get caught in. You don't want to tear the whole structure down. You need a team in place for for the draft. And if you're going to give the coach most of the power, the final decision, then I think then that's where you can have some front office changes. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Where it's like, oh, you know, this draft is going to, fail because you're you know your gm or the person who has been in charge in the past isn't making the decisions um you know you have a team that you like and rely on this is kind of the last thing for them to do if, if that is to happen um i think it's fine and then i think it just tells you who is ultimately in charge in the room and once again similar to the steelers mike tomlin's calling the shots he's calling who to take and the texans might ultimately be in that position now um, where, you know, you, you brought, like you said, you brought in Dabika Ryans and you probably gave him some promises. He's probably the one that's going to make the call, the final call in these draft picks. Yeah, I think so. It'll be interesting to see it. It's weird. We, we obviously traded Deshaun kind of moving away from 
that era. Caseri was given year one. This is year two of the three years of the first round bounty that we got back to, to move on. Um, you would think if you let him start, you'd think you'd see all the way through, but hey, different things or stranger things have happened. So we'll see. We'll see where that one ends up, Shane, I think. But um, overall in this class, then, how, how would you characterise this draft class? You kind of touched on a little bit there, but um, I don't know if there's any, uh, any, any ones you could compare it to, I suppose. We never know until they suit up at training camp and start playing games. But how would you... Or as we stand today, we're a couple of weeks out. Um, how would you characterize this twenty twenty three draft class? I think it's a pretty good group as a whole. I mean, if I had to go back and compare it to a different draft class, probably be twenty twenty, where we had kind of the the Joe Burrow, you know, Tua Herbert. You had some quarterbacks at the top, mm-hmm. some that you felt really good in, some that were question marks, but we're gonna still go high. You had an elite defensive talent in Chase Young. I think we have that in Will Anderson this year. And I think you had the offensive lineman and other defensive talents to kind of fill in the gaps. Um, I think it's similar. You know, you have Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, who I think are are pretty rock-solid quarterback prospects. Then you have question marks like Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. Where are they going to go? And ultimately, are they worth a high first-round pick? Uh, Filtered in with a good defensive offensive tackle draft in the first round. Uh, and, and like I mentioned before, I do think this draft is deep. I think rounds three and four are going to be pretty strong for teams. So teams with picks or, uh, you know, a team like the Texans that have uh, multiple picks. We're looking at that day two range. I think it's a good draft to have that draft capital. Yeah, when you look back on, we, we spoke last year, and I think this is about the third or fourth year we've spoken about prior to the draft. But when you look back on last year, was there any guys that you were high on that came came true and also the inverse was there any guys that you missed on that uh, you came back to when you sort of reflect on your evaluation from last year uh you know I, I think it's always tough when you're uh, only looking at that year you know first year i'll say a player was high on that um i, you know, I probably talked about in the show last year i feel like i talked about him every year was christian watson the receiver that ended up going to the packers in round two uh i was pretty high on him i thought when he got on the field he ended up making a big impact Felt like my evaluation, you know, kind of hit itself and felt pretty good about it. Um, you know, though, I, I think, you know, I liked a, a guy like Trevor Penning, the offensive tackle that went to the Saints at 19, that really struggled last year. And I think it's tough to evaluate, you know, just after a rookie year. We've seen a lot of players need that year of development or go through some struggles and get better. But some of them often don't, you know, don't even make it. Um, but no, I thought last year was a weird class because of the quarterbacks and that we only had one in the first round didn't have any in, in round two is doesn't happen too often in a league where that really needs it um luckily this year it won't be that way yeah and i suppose this class will be in ultimately will define the texans as well set in this in the dreaded second spot um which should never have been that way if it hadn't have been for that third and or fourth and thirty or whatever it was they went for and in Indianapolis and Lovey Smith's parting gift, but how do you, how do you separate, or what would you say are the the defining factors that differentiate Bryce Young from CJ Stroud? I mean, the first thing that everyone's going to talk about is the size difference, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the big differences when you just look at them. You have Stroud, who's just under 6'3", 215 pounds, and Bryce, I think, was. 
um, blessed to come in at, at over 200 at the combine. I, I don't yeah. think he's going to play at over 200 pounds. Um, you know, I think that's the big difference between them when you look at them. I think from a, a playing standpoint, um, Stroud really, but I think both players really have great ball placement. Uh, I think Bryce Young does a better job kind of under pressure when the pressure is on of making plays than Stroud does. I don't think uh, Stroud makes mistakes under pressure, but he, he's, he can get a little bit flustered when that coverage is there and the pressure is on like he did in the Northwestern game this year. I feel like Bryce Young had a number of moments where he had ice in his veins, had to come back, had guys in the backfield, was making plays, moving out of the pocket, kept his eyes downfield. You know, that's why NFL teams, I think, really like Bryce Young. Um, I think Stroud's maybe a little bit safer. We saw the injury this past year with Bryce Young. Uh, that that could be problematic. So, I, look, I'm back-to-back in my rankings. I have them as the number two and number three players in this class. I have Stroud just ahead of Young. Uh, I, I feel a little more confident and comfortable with him. But, you know, Stroud did play with a future top-five pick in Marvin Harrison. He played with Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to go. In the first round, uh, Bryce Young was was playing with players that aren't going to play on Sundays this past year, which you don't expect from Alabama, but that was the case this past season. So, and still got it done. So I, I think I can understand why teams maybe have Young above Stroud. I think it's close, and I think if you get either one, you've got to be happy. Yeah, you think that? You think both can step into a, a, a team week one? Do you think that's well within the realms of possibility for both those guys to to be ready in, in various guises and various systems and the landed spot system I think is obviously gonna gonna determine a lot. I think bringing the Shanahan system over for me, I kind of feel like sometimes actually if it is Strout, he's probably more fixed or he's he's the more accurate of the two in terms of his numbers. Um albeit that's perhaps because he's had longer to throw and these guys are wider open. I don't know um, if you've looked into that at all, but I feel like which either way they go, if they are to go quarterback, there's been a lot of discussion about that the last few days, if they are to go quarterback, I think it will improve the team versus Davis Mills, I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I, I think both those guys are ready to step in day one. I'm not sure there's any other quarterback in this class that I feel confident saying that about. Um, and, you know, I, I do see in that Shanahan system, Bryce Young being a good fit like i think when we talk about ball placement and accuracy i think both are toward the top of prospects that i've i've looked at and scouted over the past you know 20-ish years um i think both are probably pretty darn good there i think young is a little bit more of a pinpoint placement so his receiver can get it i think stroud knows how to put the ball so the defense can't get it um, and, and, you know, I would probably grade young slightly higher on the accuracy piece. Um, like you said, the numbers kind of justified. I think a lot of it is because of Stroud's wide receiver play, what they were able to do. Uh, but I, I think that's one area where young probably has him just, just by a bit. So I think both guys could step in. I think the system that the Texans have can really fit. And we've seen in San Francisco, you don't need a world beating quarterback to get offensive production. So I think it's a good system where you can place one of these players who are good, still need some development to be great and still get production while they're developing. I think it's ideal for that. So we take young, for example, what, what would you say is that obviously the size is, is, is the knock, but if you push that to the wall, nobody can change that. Uh, certainly not him, even if he's got rocks in his, in his pockets when he was weighing in at uh, the combine. Um, and didn't weigh his prodi, interestingly enough. But what what are the knocks on him, Shane? Because I, I've seen sort of arm strength 
played out there. Uh, I, I watched the Tennessee game when he was coming off that injury. He rolls to his left, throws on the move with a, a real degree of pace and accuracy for a touchdown on a sort of kind of scramble drill. Um, so when you watch him, and he also has that it factor, I think, as well, that reminds me a bit of Deshaun Watson in a sense that he may have sort of periods or series of not necessarily world-beating plays, but all of a sudden the switch flicks and when the, when it's time to make a play for his team, he comes through that clutch factor. So all the kind of things you see from I struggle to see a, like a major flaw in his game, but is there anything you think, Bryce Young, that could catch him out at the next level? Like you, I don't think there's a major flaw outside of size that I'm like, oh, you know, this is it. Um, I think his footwork needs cleaned up sometimes. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, I think he can be quick to roll out even on plays that aren't designed for it. Uh, if he kind of feels that pressure a little bit, you know, his feet will kind of break down and that can lead to a little bit of inaccuracy, especially between the numbers and some of the medium areas. Um, his, his arm strength is sufficient. You know, I don't think it's out of this world, especially downfield passing. Uh, sometimes he can short arm it a little bit, misjudge, uh, maybe because of that footwork a little bit doesn't get it quite on the spot where his receiver can kind of catch it and keep going. Um, and I think it was better two years ago, but he also had Jameson Williams, a first round pick, I think helped, you know, not having that, I think, I think hurt him a little bit. Um, and, and then I, I think just, uh, adjusting, looking off safeties is not something that he had to do too much or, or did too much. He goes through his progressions. Well, I think he reads the defense. Well, but he kind of takes what, what they give him, which is good. That's what I want from a quarterback. Uh, but he isn't on that high level of manipulation of the defense. You know, it, it's small things for a prospect making this jump and level. It's nothing that raises big, big red flags to me. Yeah. And in terms of CJ Stroud, I've seen people say he's not as coachable. He's got a bit of an edge to him. Um, obviously, he comes with the baggage of the same agent as the Sean Watson's agent, um, David Magalera, who engineered an exit from multiple players. And I think people would be hesitant on him. Um, do you see a bigger potential set of flaws just because he may not be as battle-tested playing for Ohio State? Um, albeit, I think everybody referenced the Georgia game where he started to use his wheels and he was running out of out of um, issues. And you know, he kind of said when he was in front of the mic, "I didn't have to because I was throwing to great receivers." And I think therein lies the point: was his is his need for structure too much to to uh, to rule him out as a true playmaker that perhaps Bryson might be. I think that's the big question, and I don't think it's just Stroud. You know, Ryan Day, the coach there also kind of try to rein Justin Fields in, didn't want him running, wanted him to pass more. Uh, and he was throwing to three first round picks uh, there, you know, back at, at Ohio State. So uh, I think I get it, but it would be it would have been nice to see that beyond the Georgia game, uh, because I think there were definitely games like Northwestern I referenced before, where the pressure was coming, uh, where we saw the receivers not getting open and Stroud got frustrated, missed passes, and then he started running. And he and, and then the defense had to back off. And, he, you know, you saw it happen these couple moments. You're like, well, he could do it. But is it enough for me to feel comfortable? You know, I think that's the big question. Yeah, no, absolutely. And much of the discussion has been, and I heard Adam Schefter and many other people, and I think there's a lot of kind of spitballing this time of year. They've kind of talked the prospects to death. They've got to try and create some kind of allure and mystique about the draft and what might happen. And there's all kind of speculation. But certainly it's been intimated if, if Bryce Young goes one, 
the Texans may well pass um, on a quarterback because perhaps they're not as invested or fully bought in as they are in Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Could you see a rationale for that? Would you? Could you see a, a, a potential avenue for not either trading out or potentially not picking C.J. Stroud if he's left there? I think it'd be a mistake. I, like, I could see them doing it. I, I think it'd be you'd have a regret on that going forward because nothing's guaranteed for next year right you know now it's okay now we need a a top pick either you're going to take a lesser quarterback at 12 or try to you know draft one and day two and 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 hit i think it's going to be much harder to do or you're hoping next year to have another top pick and in 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 this rebuild and as we saw this year it's not guaranteed like you, you can miss out and and now what do you do are you back to the same situation so i i you know, I think it'd be a mistake. I think Will Anderson is the best player in the draft. So, so I'd understand evaluating that, saying, okay, let's build this defense, get that impact player on defense uh, who fits this defense really well, and, you know, let's go from there and, and fix the offense next year. Uh, teams have done that. I think it's okay to do. But uh, I think if you're staring at, at C.J. Stroud, whether it be because of the agent or whatever, that you're going to pass on him. If he turns into a great quarterback, I mean, it's going to be one of the biggest blunders mm. in Texans history. And there's been many of those. So <laughs> it's fair, the, fair. We can add enough. to the list. But um, I think, yeah, I suppose that kind of wraps us up there. I, you, you touched on Anderson being your number one player. Um, I think if you watch him, in the year prior at Alabama, and we talked to um, guys from Alabama, obviously drafting Christian Harris and John Mechie last year, and we did touch upon him. I think obviously his numbers last year and his production far outweighed his final year at Bama. Um, and when you watch him, and I think Darnell Wright's made himself a lot of money by that game tape because everybody keeps reference, probably the most referenced matchup in this uh, draft process of evaluation this year. Um, what do you put the... First, first of all, what makes you? What makes you? Or what makes him your number one player? And then what do you attribute the drop off in production? Because to me, watching him, Shane, I think I, f- I find sometimes that he's that it looks like he's not as an explosive athlete as he was. The burst isn't quite there. Isn't quite reading things as quickly. And I don't know if that's injury. I don't know if that's attention. If that's scheme, what he's been asked to do. But but um. But how how do you sum up uh, Will Anderson those two points? So what really gives him the edge to me as the number one player in this draft is that pass rush ability. I mean, you just don't get the multiple years of double digit sacks um, and, you know, with him in the SEC without being a a top player. Um, I think the athleticism is there for him to kind of take advantage. Like I said, two years ago, we really saw the explosiveness. Uh, No one could stop him. I mean, that first step is deadly. I think it still is. I think this past season, A, I'll I'll say, you know, 10 sacks and 17 tackles for losses is pretty darn good. (laughs) Like, I think the drop-off is him going to from out-of-this-world numbers to like really good numbers. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I do think they asked him to do more. And I think that was the question. And part of it might've been for the draft was he, he started dropping back into coverage. He started stunting a little bit more, you know, it wasn't just pin your ears back, go after the quarterback. Um, and so I think he showed some versatility, but like you said, you know, then it's, there's a little more hesitation. Some of these plays where you're like, ah, you know, he could have gotten the sack or gotten the tackle for loss. 
They had him hesitate blitz. Like, I think they were trying to have him do more things. I, I don't think it was necessarily helpful. Um, but I thought he still played extremely well against pretty good competition. The Tennessee game maybe uh as the exception. So I'm I'm still in. I think he's gonna be a top tier pass rusher in the NFL. And uh I think you'll be able to use him in a lot of ways. Yeah. And um in, in terms of the uh the the competitors of previous uh classes of the first edge rusher going, it's the most premium position on the field out with quarterback. Um how do you, where does he line up in terms of the Bosa's, Garrett's, um, all these kind of guys that have gone right in the top end of the draft? Uh, how does he where does he line up uh, comparable to those guys for you? I, I grade him higher than them. Um Wrong now I, I think the difference is and why most people would say he's a step lower is the size. You know, he's not that Miles Garrett, you know, huge base defensive end type. Um, my, my comp for Will Anderson as a prospect is Von Miller. I mean, that's really what I saw. We've seen Von Miller have a, a Hall of Fame career, uh, potentially. I think Anderson, because he's a stand-up pass rusher, is going to be an elite stand-up pass rusher. He's not what the Boses and the Miles Garrett are as kind of a base put his hand down in. And that's why I think the Texans might be interested because their system doesn't want those players as much, you know, but we've seen Bosa have success there. We've also seen, you know, guys have success um, in that defense, uh, Alden Smith in the past and, and players that stand up pass rushers because of the versatility. So I think he brings that versatility to the table. I think from an all around tools perspective, he can be, uh, you know, the best pass rusher in the NFL. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I think, there's an element of me, I think, that we've got so many holes and knees. I think, yeah, there's there's this fine balance, I think, Shane, to be struck. I, I think whatever happens, there'll always be uh, revisions of history um, or revisions of evaluation or um, the benefit of hindsight going back to this, uh, whatever Caserio or, in fact, D'Amico, if he swings the, the decision um, to go. But I think it's, it, seems a di- it seems a difficult one, and I think it's made harder by not being at that top spot because you don't have the complete free reign of choice. So um, we, we shall, we'll see um, where, which way they go um, in a couple of weeks' time. And I think it's going to it's gonna define Casario's career and it's going to define the franchise's direction, I think. Um, if they are to wait, Shane, how good uh, is is Mays, is Caleb Williams? How how good are we talking here? Is this, is this another level above Strout and Bryce? Do you, do you feel both those guys, or at least one of them, are... Are a risk worth taking potentially with an extra first round pick in your pocket next year? I mean, he's better than them as prospects. Um, I, I think he was just more dynamic straight off the bat and showed it this year from a passing perspective, off balance. Uh, the arm, I think, is in an arm strength and zip are better. And I think he gives you more of that running threat than younger Stroud do. Uh, so it kind of has that full package. I understand evaluating him like that. Now, a, a year's a long time for that evaluation to hold up, right? Because I think we, we obviously said that about Young and Stroud last season, um, and now we're here, and it's like, yeah, they're they're great, but you know, and I think Caleb Williams might get that treatment, right? He doesn't play as well as he did this past year, and now, uh, well, now we have questions. Like, I don't know if I, I think he'll stay as the number one overall pick, but I think I don't know if we're gonna have that rock solid. This is one of the best prospects. Uh, that we've seen in, in 10, 20 years kind of deal. I, I question if that will be the narrative when we have more time to pick them apart. Um, 
but I, I do think he's worth trading up for. Like if the Texans do pass on a quarterback and get that opportunity, you better go up and get them. And it's going to cost a lot more than two first round picks. Mm. Well, yeah, well, that's it. And I think it's, it's almost like the opportunity cost of not taking one now. Does that outweigh any position, you know, a season where you might just stumble into four or five wins and be out with the realms of, of picking in, in that sort of top one, which you're going to have to be in, which even a really bad team is difficult under a coach who was kind of, you know, was a placeholder at best. So it's a strange predicament to be in with the rumblings of changes. It kind of feels almost, in the front office, feels a bit more uncertainty perhaps than it even did a week ago. But that's what keeps it interesting, Shane, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. But ultimately the roster is built beyond the top few picks in, in depth and quality. In your latest mock draft, you had the Texans taking Jackson Smith in Jigba. Um, from my film study last year, I thought you know he was comparable, or, or if not better, than, than Chris Alave and Garrett Wilson uh, last year watching the team. Um, obviously had some injury problems with the history of taking Stingley last year and him not holding up healthy. I think, you know, health risk may be something they're a little bit more concerned about or, or cautious or considerate of this year. Uh, but if we take Smith and Jigba as a potential option at 12, how would you define him as a prospect? I think he's tremendous. I think he's underrated at this point because of that hamstring injury last year. And I, and I think injury wise, you don't have to worry as much because it was a hamstring, you know, um, there's not really history of it. It's not you know a back injury, like some, some, uh, like we have a Don Kincaid uh, and some other prospects in this first round have some bigger injury concerns. I, I think the agility and ability to get open for him just makes him a rock solid receiving prospect. Even if he doesn't hit, that ceiling, he's going to be a producer for you that can be the wide receiver one. The big question with JSN, I don't think is the agility. I don't even think is the athleticism and, and speed. It is, is he more than a slot receiver? That's what he played in college. We, we had those same questions with Justin Jefferson when he came out and was played the slot almost the entire time. It's a fair question. I think worst case, you get an elite slot talent, and I think JSN, because he can beat press man coverage well, can play on the outside and can play it pretty well. I think a split end would be an ideal position for him. He, I think he could plug and play day one. But if that's not the case, you try him out there, it's not the case. Okay, you know, we at least have this elite receiving talent that's going to get open Michael Thomas-like in, in the slot. And I, I think that's what you need for a young quarterback. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, it's, I suppose it's where they see John Mitchie coming off the uh, lymphoma of last year missing a lot of time it wasn't in their plans it hit their um, stock at wide receiver greatly and I think when you when you, when you think about trying to incorporate him uh, and hopefully he will because they will need him to come and contribute next year if they're going to have an an, a, a, an an active wide receiver core then potentially on the outside but I suppose there is a number of players like Jefferson and Lockett and guys who have below your atypical size but have um, managed to be productive on the perimeter uh, what skills do you think necessarily that that um, Smith and Jake plays? Is it the speed? Is it separation? Route running? What is it that 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 gives them that elite trait that means that allows them to compensate for the lack of uh, you know standardized measurables that people are looking for at a boundary receiver? I think it's the agility and explosiveness off of the line of scrimmage. Just when you you have someone playing press man against him. It, it isn't that because he's in the slot and has options, it's like they, they can't get their hands on him before he's past them. And so when someone's trying to play press man, you are risking JSN just stepping one step, two steps wide open. And teams started backing off last year because they just couldn't do it. Um, you saw in the Rose Bowl, 
they tried to press him the whole time because they were down corners that, you know, they, they couldn't, they had to, and man, he was, he ate them apart. Like you just could not stop him when he had that. So I think that explosiveness, you put him on the outside. I mean, he still beat you in press man. You know, he, he can beat you. And that's really the question you have on the outside. Now he can use the boundary to his advantage. I think that's what makes him a top 15 prospect in this class. And I think without the injury, I think we're talking about him in the top 10. Yeah. And do you see him as the clear number one wide receiver in this class? Because there's a bit of debate of, I saw Jim Nagy tweet the other day, um, there's, a, there's a, a disparity perhaps in terms of where the media and kind of general consensus and the public domain rates this wide receiver class in mock drafts versus where perhaps NFL teams. Um, how do you view the class and and in Jake Buzz? Is he at the top of the tree for you? I, I think he's a clear step above the rest. I do think that there are a couple other receivers that I'd be willing to take in the first round. That sense, I think when you look at the back end of the first, there, there's some good talents that have some upside. Um, you know, Quentin Johnson from TCU with with the size and speed, or Jordan Addison from USC, who I think is just uh, you know undersized but prototypical. And I think we'll see Zay Flowers from Boston College and his quick twitch ability go in the first round. So I think it's a strong group, but you don't have necessarily another top twenty option outside of JSN. Yeah. Okay. And at 12, if it's not wide receiver, who do you think, assuming, say, three, if not four, um, say Hendon Hooker or uh, or uh, Richardson or, or somebody like that pushes the quarterbacks down and pushes the other positions down, what would be, in your eyes, the best case scenario of a guy falling to 12? Yeah, I, I think if if the Texans do go quarterback at two and don't take Will Anderson, then I think edge rusher – um, would be an ideal position for 12. I really like Nolan Smith out of Georgia. I think if you want kind of Will Anderson light, I think Nolan Smith fits. You know, five-star recruit number one in his class, uh, incredible athlete, didn't quite have the production to match, had the injury this past year where I think maybe he could have ramped up into it. Um, he has, you know, a, a top – 12 grade for me in this class. And so I think if he falls there and you're like, well, we, you know, we like Will Anderson end up getting Bryce Young or Stroud or whoever um, we could take Nolan Smith and fit him where we thought Anderson would fit. And I think you can get similar production out of him with the good defensive coaching staff that the Texans have. So that that's, that's kind of the guy to me um, that I think would be, you kind of hope for at 12. Yeah. And in terms of the, um, the position or people that obviously sit 31 picks in the first round, Dolphins losing theirs for their, their, uh, their, their meeting on a yacht with Tom Brady, but how, what sort of position groups do you think are strong enough for certain players that you think are just on the cusp of that first round, second round that could potentially fall uh, to 33? I think you got Will McDonald from Iowa State, I think, in your late smoke draft to the Texans, but from memory. Uh, but who do you who, who do you see as a kind of clear kind of position group that, that, that will have enough depth that you'll still you could probably wait to the top of the second round? Or or is there guys who you think may just grade slightly short and still be good value at that spot? I mean, if they end up passing on edge rusher as a whole, I think it is a group where you can still get a Will McDonald or, um, you know, even, even a Keon White from Georgia Tech, uh, Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame maybe in that second round. I think another group is the interior offensive line, the center position and guard position. I think that's going to line up nicely with the Texans. If John Michael Schmitz, the, the center out of Minnesota, has gotten a little bit of first-round buzz, I don't know if he's going to – make it into the first, you know, he could be a player that should take a 33 
plug and play center uh, right there. You know, Steve Avila from TCU, Joe Tippman from Wisconsin. I think there's a lot of, of centers right in the top end of the second round that um, could be good values and be able to be starters from day one with that being a need for the Texans. I think it might be a nice spot. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's that's a key. I think with the with the fortification of the line, hopefully with uh, with uh, with Kenyon Green, hopefully making a step this year. There were some ugly moments last year, big time, um, and some some welcome to the league kind of moments. But uh, that the Shaq Mason trade, you think you could build a potential strength there for the team? But um, in terms of the kind of guys who who may follow the wide receivers, the undoubted bear spot in this roster. Uh, beyond the kind of top end guys, who can you see this kind of mid round value? The wide receiver. I know you've got the um the Texas taking the Cincinnati wide receiver in your latest mock draft. Um, I know he's a he's a a guy who's been kind of talked about as a sure handed, not going to necessarily worry you kind of guy, but he's going to be you know cat catch ability, sticky hands as they as they say. Uh, but who would you who would you kind of point to him amongst others in terms of kind of mid round potential to fill that spot? I think it's a nice day two group at wide receiver. Um, yeah, I, I like Tyler Scott from Cincinnati. I think he is kind of a Deontay Johnson, a little lighter Deontay Johnson-esque player where you can move him around a little bit and have that. And that's part of the issue. And we talked about slot receivers. There's a lot of undersized receivers. Marvin Mims from Oklahoma is another one who's, I think, getting pushed up the board. Might be that third to fourth range um, that has production, has some of the deep threat ability, you know, but has a lot of slot play. Uh, but I think when you look at the bid rounds, there is some good, you know, size players. A.T. Perry out of Wake Forest is an intriguing third to fourth round pick. Had some production there in kind of a wonky system, a little bit light, but very long. Uh, if they're looking for an outside receiver, I think he's interesting. Rasheed Rice from SMU, very productive, athletic, didn't have a, a big route tree where he had success at SMU. So, you know, there's some maybe some connection there down in Texas. Um, gets intriguing. Uh, Jaden Reed from Michigan State. You know, I, I think there's a lot of players if, you know, maybe even to double up. Like I had my mock draft where the Texans say, okay, we, you know, you have John Mechie, you have Nico Collins, but this could be a, a way to get a starter and get a second reserve rotational receiver later in the draft might make a lot of sense. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I think it's, it's a sport we're going to have to address perhaps multiple times, I think, with uh, the trade of Brandon Cooks. Nico Collins not quite working out where they maybe thought he would do coming out of Michigan, trading up from uh, and a couple of drafts ago, um, not realizing his potential staying healthy. So, um, who are your guys this year, uh, Shane? That you're perhaps you think going under the radar, but you you've got high views on. I, I think some sleepers. Probably probably the highest rated is uh, Jonathan Mingo, the receiver from Mississippi. I, I really like him. Didn't quite have the production because of the system there, but big, strong, athletic, uh, ran the ball a little bit, like did a little bit of everything. I think he's someone that could creep up into day two. That's not getting a lot of buzz uh, receiver wise. Uh, you know, I also like Andre Yusivas, uh, the receiver out of Princeton, who is kind of a track athlete, strong. It was just like a, a, a deep guy um, two, two years ago. And then this past year really turned into a complete receiver. I think he's been kind of underrated and a sleeper in the process that could turn into the next Christian Watson type of player, but you're going to get him much cheaper. 
Um, but I also like some other small school players. Uh, Joey Fisher from Shepard is, is a guard who like super strong, plays low. He, he dominated his level of competition, allowed the, the running back there, Shepard Ronnie Brown, who I also like in this draft as an undrafted free agent um, who's athletic and big uh, to, to get some space. And then uh, Truman Jones, the edge rusher out of Harvard, is uh, an interesting kind of you know smart technician with some strength. I think he's intriguing. So I think it's, it's a good small school crop here um, in this draft. If you're looking for some late round picks, uh, I think it's uh, an area where the Texans could could dip into. Yeah, that's it. I think we're going to have to hit on, relatively speaking, on fifth, sixth, seventh round guys to try and build this roster as quick as possible and get us back to competitive. See if that is led by a quarterback. What we will know, as they say, the league will find you. But there's also guys who are brought into the league on pedigree, on school, on family ties, whatever it is that that come in with a lot of hype and um, perhaps fail to live up to that. Is there any guy, Shane, who you just don't see what other people are seeing? I th- you know, I think there's always a couple. I, I always, when when my evaluation is like drastically different from people, I was like, ah, you know, what, what am I missing? You know, but I'll say um, Darnell Washington, the tight end from Georgia, who's getting a lot of publicity, first round hype because he's 6'7", 264, and he can block, but... I don't want a blocking tight end in the first round. <laughs> like to me, it's, it's not worth taking. I, I think it's such a good tight end class. I'd rather take uh Tucker craft of the South Dakota state as I have rated above him. You know, I'd rather take Sam Laporta from, from Iowa. I think he's a player that I like more. So like Darnell Washington's a player that I don't quite get. Um, what one first round pick that I think is going to get overdrafted is Lucas Van Ness, the edge rusher out of Iowa. It could be, could be, you know, could be an option for the Texans at 12, didn't start for them. They kind of brought him in as a bigger pass rushing specialist. And, and he's good at that. You know, he's strong and he can rush the passer, but like, that's all he does. And I, that always scares me. I think there's been a lot of players that have gotten drafted as just, they can rush the passer and that's it. Um, you know, don't, don't play the run. Like, don't look for that. That's not how the defense is built. And, and, and I always shy away from those players. S- sometimes I've missed there, um, but he's a player I think is a little bit uh, overrated as well. Yeah. No, I think Van Ness is a, a, a physical specimen. I think, but as you said, yeah, if you want to get, if you're going to take somebody in the top twelve like Texans, they're going to have to play. Um, and if they can't, if they can't do the basics and, and match up to the run, then you're uh, you're on a hide to nothing in a four man front. I think that's that's for that's for sure. What would you say um, are the like the kind of strongest kind of position groups that you of this year that you've been surprised about or that have potentially um, you know been stronger than previous years? Tight ends, one you've touched upon, I've seen a lot on that what are the kind of sort of top three depth position wise you think this year yeah, i think tight ends up there i think corner is another one where man i mean i mean i i look at corners and i like 15th 16th 17th ranked corner i feel like yeah, the right system development could be a starter in the mm-hmm. nfl and that's rare that i'm getting that deep usually at, at 10 11 12 uh, you start to fall off a little bit but i think we could see you know, 10 corners go in the top 50 picks. I, I think it's possible. Uh, teams need them. And it's a really deep group. Um, there's a lot of possibilities for the first round in that cornerback group. Um, I, I think it's a really strong position. And I, I think running back is a good position. Obviously, everyone knows about B. John Robinson, the running back from Texas, who's going to go very high. But I think when we look at, at day two, you have players of all shapes and sizes that could potentially start. Zach Charbonnet, UCLA, Roshan Johnson, the backup to Bijan of Texas. I think it's going to be a better NFL player. I think he's going to be a starter in the league, even though he couldn't crack the starting lineup at Texas. 
Um, you have kind of the smaller electric types like Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama, Devin Chain, Texas A&M. Like, I, I think you're going to see some starting running backs come out of this group as we see some of the better ones aging out in the NFL. Um, I, th- I think I think the Texans in day three, you know, Damian Pierce had a really great year, but draft one of these running backs, get, get them someone to, to take the load off a little bit, I think could be helpful. Yeah, I think so. They overran him last year. I think Damien, then he, the fumbles kind of crept in a little bit um, at bad times. Um, and he uh, he started to make some questionable decisions. And I think I think that was workload that he simply just didn't see in Florida. And I think that caught up with him. So, yeah, uh, I, uh, a, a compliment, I think, to, to Damien would be would be advisable um, for this team. Um, in term in terms of the kind of the linebacker spot, that's probably one we haven't touched upon. Shane, is that a good year? We need to compliment Christian Harris. Uh, we signed Denzel Perryman. Uh, we signed Corey Little Littleton. None of these are long term solutions, uh, but certainly but we'll we'll need to find somebody to compliment Christian Harris. But who would you see is a good fit for this D'Amico scheme in the in this draft in terms of linebackers? I think it's a a pretty good linebacker group. We don't have the high end, you know, first round picks, but. That kind of bodes well for the Texans. I don't think you want to take an off-ball linebacker in the top 12 as it is. Um, I really, probably my best fit for them is DeMarvian Overshawn, linebacker at a Texas round three area. I think he's a player who is instinctual, um, got, had a little more on his plate this past season and showed that he could do it. You know, he could drop into pass coverage a little more, right? Do all those things that I think in, in D'Amico Ryan's system, you need a linebacker to kind of do a little bit of everything. And that, that's what Overshawn could do, but still was that good tackler up front to fill those gaps and do like what Fred Warner did uh, for the 49ers. I think he's probably my best fit for them. I mean, I also like some of the second round guys, Jack Campbell from Iowa, uh, who's kind of the big 6'5", 249, um, stiff, but will hit you and can match up against tight ends guy, or Dayon Henley from Washington State, who's a little bit smaller, um, but is so technically sound and so good at diagnosing what the offense is doing and reacting to it. Uh, I think it's just a different flavor. I think Overshawn's kind of the best of both worlds and probably would be a little more of a value pick. Yeah, no, I think the Texans have had him in twice, I think, top 30 visit and uh, and uh, interview at the combine. So I think he's certainly one that'll, that will be on people's radar. So um, if you were to guess, um, and there's a, lot, there's a lot of people trying to make a living um, out of this, particularly in Vegas, but how would you see night one panning out? What's your kind of prediction? What's your gut feel? I know you've got um, CJ Strike going number one at Carolina. There seems they've, I think Carolina have played this played this uh, show out, you know, with a plum, I think, this year in terms of taking huge numbers to uh, to, to, to pro days. Um, David Tepper walking into Nick Saban office and, and making that story, you know, very well known. Well, how do you see this night one going? Because certainly I think the teams have done their part to create the circus that makes the draft of what it is. But um, when, you, when you strip all that sort of bullshit back, how do you actually see this going um, night one in terms of that sort of first top ten? Yeah, I mean, look, I might look really stupid here in a couple of weeks, right? Uh, as 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 it looks, but I I do think the Panthers are going to take Stroud. I, you know, I think it's who they probably want and feel like maybe this Bryce Young talk that's happening now is to try to entice the Texans to to move up. Which doesn't really make much sense from the Texans' perspective either way. Um, you know, why would why would you let us just? take your guy. So I think it goes Stroud young one and two. And then um, I do think we see Will Anderson go at three. I think the Cardinals stick 
at three. Um, and I think if a team does move up, I, I don't think it's for a quarterback. I think that it's for Will Anderson. I think that might be the difference that a lot of people just get quarterback crazy. Right. And that, you know, that's kind of what happens. Um, the, the Colts are tough at four. Cause I think Anthony Richardson, the quarterback from Florida fits them and what they like to do before feels high to me in my evaluation of him. I mean, I, I have him rated as a late first round pick, um, which I feel like I should stick to more. I should have last year with, with Malik Willis and um, when everyone thought he was going in the first round, but you know, I want to say the Colts take Richardson and we kind of see things, you know, end up from there. I think, I think we see the four quarterbacks go in the first round at some point. I don't think we see Hendon hooker make it uh, into the first round. I, I think that's people just trying to push more quarterbacks as they always do every year. Um, yeah, but, th- but that's my sense. Uh, like I said, I might look dumb and, and Bryce Young goes one and the Texans don't take a quarterback, but it just seems like Panthers and Texans are set up to take the, the top two quarterbacks on the board. And that's what happens. Yeah, I guess it, it's a strange dilemma. I think as you go back and forth, I think, that, as I said before, I think not taking one this year at the most important position, if you hit fine, if you don't, then you're no worse off. I think you don't necessarily, um, if you, if, if you have to look to next year, but the cost to do, do business next year is going to be potentially a lot greater than it is now because you have the certainty of that. As you said, it's all forecasted. In terms of a guy's stock that's dropped the most, Jalen Carter, where do you see him kind of dropping to? And do you think that's the bad pro day and all that kind of stuff all seems a bit kind of, not necessarily staged or forced, but I, I think certainly from considering how good his tape was to... You know, and it might just be unlucky circumstance. We saw it with Larry Tunso, um, but he's kind of made up for that <laughs> financially. Um, but the Jalen Carter kind of fall off. Do you do you see him dropping that far? And how far did you rate his tape away from Anderson? Uh, so I had in my last mock draft falling pretty far. I kind of want to just toy with the idea, see how it affected the draft. I think I'm probably going to pop him back up into the top ten. Um, I, I do think like Seattle at five and then worst case i think atlanta chicago eight nine i think it, you know nine's probably jalen carter's floor um but a character concerns is always tough because you, you we don't we can't know what the teams really think you know they might say this isn't a big deal it is a big deal uh but I, yeah i i feel there are going to be teams that don't want him uh i i had him a step behind will anderson just be really more positional value i'd rather have the edge rusher than the interior defensive tackle uh and i thought the ohio state game maybe showed some flaws in carter's game but um i think he's definitely worthy he's my number four player in the class and uh i think belongs there talent wise so i i'm probably gonna have him i have a you know seven round mock coming out uh on monday i'm probably gonna have him going fifth to the seahawks yeah, no, absolutely. I think this is what it's a strange one. I think because when you when you see like the flashes, and again, I'm only going on last year's team, but when you were watching um, Walker uh, up there, when you were watching um, these other teammates, the linebacker that went to Green Bay, etc. Um, I think it was who's eighty eight. I think that was a you know that was a clear uh, the clear message of when he's coming out. So I think that was that was kind of a strange kind of uh, um, a, a descension for him. But hopefully, I think that the, the 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 car accident all that kind of stuff's not necessarily going to going to um impact him too badly but certainly some bad life choices are really key moment in your career they've been working towards twenty years it's it's funny how that can happen um in terms of uh in terms of players that you think Shane that will um 
that will that will shock that will kind of like shock shock people in terms of relatively speaking um who's the kind of like early kind of day two guys that you, know, you talked about christian watson earlier there's only guys day two you know that's where the value of the draft is and team and you know the texas drafted up traded up a couple of times uh, last year to get into that spot that sweet spot where a lot of you know really quality starters are found on four-year deals is there any guys in there you think that could potentially be stars that have just not quite polished themselves off at of college not had the exposure not had the right system fit etc I'll give you a couple names. I think Cody Mock, the offensive lineman uh, out of North Dakota State, is going to be a, a stud. He, you know, he can play almost every position on the offensive line. Tough uh, and and more technically sound. I think then Trevor Penning was last year. Um, so especially if Mock goes to guard, I think he could be, you know, a really really good player that goes round two and maybe ends up better than, than a Darnell Wright, someone that goes in round one. Um, I, I also like Mozzie Smith, the defensive lineman, defensive tackle out of Michigan, who is pretty athletic, didn't always have the production, got double teamed a lot at Michigan. So I think some teams maybe are writing him off. Um, he kind of had first round buzz and then he didn't do a full workout, but the couple pieces he did wasn't as good as people thought. Now he's falling to round two. I, I think he's one of the more talented defensive tackles in this class um, who's getting underrated. So I think someone could get a steal with him. You're getting kind of a, a run stopper who also has some of the pass rush ability um, would be really interesting. And then, you know, I'm going I'm to toss out uh, corner Cam Smith from South Carolina, who once again, another player. And I think this is where I like a lot of these players who got round one buzz early in the process, then for some reason just, you know, now aren't going to go there. And it's like, they're still really talented. I think Cam Smith was a shutdown corner at South Carolina uh, in the SEC. And because of bad defense, or because this corner class is so good, someone's going to get a steal with him in the middle of the second round. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of guys, and I was trying to like take the snapshot of the, of the draft at the end of the previous year uh, before you get the declarations. And then right at the end of when the tape finishes, because I think it is that um, paralysis by analysis, um, and it can it can certainly knock guys off off positions or or skew evaluations, you know. And it's all agent driven the narrative a lot of the time, and um, you know you're seeing that with Lamar Jackson where he fell in the draft and not getting a, a contract. The power of that that influence um, certainly impacts. But um, but how do you think uh, if we're sitting here in a year's time, Shane? How do you think this draft class will be remembered? I think like most draft classes, it's going to be, you know, the, the quarterbacks at the top work out, right? I feel like that's how we look at a lot of these classes and evaluate how good they are. I think we're going to look back pretty fondly on this group. I think you're going to get a lot of starters. I think Young and Stroud will, will at least be serviceable enough to look good at those picks when the time comes, even if they're not Hall of Famers or Super Bowl winning quarterbacks or or whatever. And I think there's enough premium positions that are going to get be pretty good on the offensive line, edge rushers, you know, corners that I think we'll look back at this class. Say, oh, you know, this is pretty good. Um, do I think it's going to be one of the best of all time or, you know, an all timer? Probably not. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be a complete, you know, a waste where you're looking at 20 busts in the first round or anything like that. So I think it's going to yeah. be on the higher end of what we recollect. Yeah. Nothing will ever be 2011 again. I don't think that's going to be hard to me, but um but, but yeah. Uh, yeah, somewhere in between. Hopefully the Texans can find two quality starters, whether that's a quarterback or not. 
that is the intrigue of night one. I think the draft will get very interesting very quickly this year, Shane. There's no, there is no lull like there has been, particularly last year, I suppose, or with, with no kind of clear quarterbacks. It was, it kind of took a while to get going, I think. But um, in terms of your kind of setup and traditions and all that kind of stuff, just live coverage, how are you going to, how you find your way through the weekend? What's, uh, what's the plans? Uh, draft countdown. We're gonna be live streaming all three days, every single pick, every single round. Um, you know, a lot of people do live streams on that first day and first round. Maybe get a little bit day two, but not many are there all day Saturday for for day three. So you know, when it's round five, round six, and you want evaluations of these players, you know, you, you can check that out. Um, last year. I had watched every single player except one that was drafted. So I had something to say on everyone except one player. Um, and this year I vowed to know every single player that's drafted and be able to give you that immediately. Yeah, no, I think that's it, isn't it? I, I, I always remember when Mike Mayer was still in the studio. I think it was the year that it was in Dallas and a guy got picked from Minnesota and everybody was flicking through their ring binders. Nobody had a clue who it was, so it happens. <laughs> it happens every year um, to to analysts, and we, and it's it's uh it's a skill in itself remembering all the names and, and an inclination of who all these guys are. Um, for two hundred fifty six three days is a hell of a lot of work, and I always find day three is my favorite day because it's 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 quick fire. It comes in fast, um, and you, you get to see a lot of kind of rosters kind of built out pretty quickly. Um, over that day so yeah, day three is always my favorite that's what I'm looking forward to and I, I would encourage everybody to come and check you guys out uh, for some coverage um, as as it goes on but Shane um, thank you very much for your time again much appreciated apologies for the uh, the scheduling gaffe from myself and we're a day later than we meant to be um, but uh, but I really enjoyed it I think this is the third year in a row now we've done this so thanks again hopefully we'll be back again next year speaking to you um, about some some uh, gold jacket type uh, pickups, but we'll we'll see. I think we need it. We need we need a star with, with Stingley not quite um being there. Kenny Green still got a lot to prove. We need to, we need a day one hit. I think of the, these top two picks this year. No, that sounds great. I appreciate you having me, and I'll always always happy to talk draft, man. Yeah. Well, thanks to Shane for his time. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back one more week before uh or another preview show before the real thing kicks off. Uh, in the end of this month but uh, thanks again to Shane for his time and uh, thanks again for listening to Turn For What Podcast <laughs>